Come on, somebody shout unto God right now. If he's mighty, if he's mighty, come on, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He's worthy. Serve a mighty God. Praise God. Is anybody excited to be here? Holiday Youth Convention. We are so excited that you've come to be with us this week. What an incredible week it's going to be. And if you believe that, shout amen. I want you to turn to about three or four people on your way back to your seat and say, I'm glad that you're here. You're looking nice tonight. Is there anybody in this house that believes this is going to be a God week? Is there anybody believes God's going to do some great things in our lives? Amen. On behalf of the entire youth committee, the state of Arkansas, welcome you to Holiday Youth Convention 2016 for a few more days. And then we will be entering a new year. It's hard to believe. But nevertheless, that's where we are at this point in time. And we are so honored that you've come. Now, I want to do something. I want our ushers to prepare uh, just out of the gate here to receive our offering. If you have come as a student, you've registered and you've come as a student to be a part of this week. Uh, then I am not really making this appeal so much for you, but to those of you who are adults who did not have to pay registration, maybe you're here visiting with us tonight, I would ask for your help in um, giving tonight. This event is one that I look forward to each and every year, and young people, will you help me in just making some noise if you look forward to this event every single year? Is there anybody here that's received the Holy Ghost at a youth convention? Will you stand? <laughs> keep standing. Keep standing. Is there anybody that's ever been healed at a holiday youth convention? Been delivered at a holiday youth convention? Stand. Is there anybody that's ever been encouraged and strengthened to go back home and make a difference? Will you stand? That should be all of us, I think. Why don't we give God praise and thanks for the opportunity that we have, such as this week, to come together and to worship and magnify and exalt His holy name. 
Lord Jesus, we're so very grateful for this privilege and this opportunity to be together again. Amen. And you can look around the room and see many, many lives have been impacted and changed over the course of maybe perhaps many years. Some of you, you're new to this. Maybe it's just a couple of years that you've been a part of the church. But it's made an impact on your life. We cannot put a price tag on this. We do not charge extravagant uh, registration fees for a reason. Because we want to make it affordable uh, for as many as possible to come and enjoy this event. But we do need your help in this offering tonight as we will the next two. And so I want our ushers, you can be seated, to begin to receive this offering as I begin to give some announcements tonight. And I thank you in advance for your giving. You can give $5. We thank you for that. Even if it's $10 or $20 or $50 or $100, we give you thanks for that. And if you can't do that and you can give a dollar, we thank you for that. Whatever you can do will be a big help. ARHYC.com is available to you. you. You are a part of this week. You want to know what's going on. You want to see the schedule. You want to know some restaurants to go to. Uh, you want to know the late night event uh, details. You can go to ARHYC.com and you can find that information there. That is for you to use, to utilize. Youth pastors take advantage of that. Some great information there. Also, everybody say T-shirt night. It's actually not a t-shirt night, it's t-shirt week. So everybody say t-shirt week. You can purchase those in the morning, okay? Those are great t-shirts available for you, $15. They go on sale tomorrow morning. Drop cards, if you want to go back and listen to these messages that will be preached the entire week, you can buy a drop card for $10. All the sermon audio will be on those. Drop card, $10. You can see all of this, get all of this at our table as you enter the the, the room here. Late nights are tomorrow night, $16 for fast lanes, and then $10 for our hyphen young adult late night as well. And you can find that information again at arhyc.com. That's going to be a great time tomorrow night. Amen. We've got sessions starting in the morning at 10:15. split sessions, junior high, senior high, young adults, and youth workers. And that's going to be a great time tomorrow. All right, Dickie's Barbecue and Rogers has offered a 15% discount to your meal. If you go in there and tell them you're with the United Pentecostal group that is here in Rogers, uh, they will give you a discount. You just need to make that known to the assistant manager there, and they will be glad to assist you. And let me just say this, I always say this, but we uh, want to make sure that we are representing uh, the church, this district, our district superintendent, and your pastors, your youth pastors, and most of all, the God that we serve. We want to make sure that we are representing um, Him well and being kind to people. When you go out to eat, please be kind, please tip well, and take care of those who are serving you. These are large groups entering to these restaurants. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Sometimes they're a little understaffed, even though we have let them know we're coming. So please be kind. And, and let them know and see the love of Christ. Will you help me with that? Shout amen. Amen. Thank you so very much for that. Again, we're so glad that you're here. Mark Zuckerberg's father taught him Atari basic programming in the 1990s. 
and went on to develop additional programming skills with the assistance of a private tutor. Zuckerberg had the reputation of being a programming prodigy by the time he started classes at Harvard. The 2010 movie The Social Network depicts the story of how Zuckerberg developed Facebook, a company that earned him the distinction of becoming the world's youngest billionaire in 2008, only four years after co-founding the company. Zuckerberg and co-founders developed Facebook at a time when millions of internet users were hungry for social media opportunities. Zuckerberg was able to develop his natural talent for computer programming and came up with an idea that would connect people all over the world at precisely the right time. Life seems to be about time and place. September 11, 2001 was a day we will never forget. It changed the United States of America forever. In its aftermath, there were countless stories of those who had survived because of some isolated incident. A father delayed getting to the office because he had to drop off his child for school because the mother was not feeling well or the woman with an early dental appointment who was going to the office at 10 instead of 8. Time and place, two ingredients that create destiny. Your here and now is an intersection of opportunity. You don't have to search the scripture long before you find that it is chock full of examples. It was an unlikely Esther that stood at the right place at the right time to save her people when everyone else was afraid. It was the insignificant David who was bringing lunch to his brothers that embraced his moment to kill a giant when everyone else was afraid. It was Moses accepting his call to lead God's people out of Egyptian bondage while God spoke to him through a burning bush. It was a timid, cowardly Gideon overcoming his fear and trusting that God was truly calling him at that moment and that place in time to do the work of God. It was Peter that knew his here was an opportunity and his now was a moment to preach the great gospel message. I can hear some of you saying, this is not my moment. I'm not in a good place to do anything significant for God. Maybe when I get older or when I get more versed in the scripture or maybe after high school or after college, I can get to that. You know, many thought that about Jesus especially when they saw in the garden that he was arrested, it looked like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. At Pilate's Hall, surely that was the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong guy. And then he was crucified, innocent of any sin, taking on the sins of the world. Yet from the beginning, he was the right man at the right time. For Galatians 4, 3 or 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. It was when the fullness of time was come. It was the right time, the right place. You are called of God 
to be alive in this moment. You are called of God to be on earth right now. You are called of God to live at your address, in your house, on your street, attending your school and working on that job. You are called to this time, to this place, for the purpose of His glory. You may be the very one who will be a missionary and win thousands to Christ. Or you may be the one who wins someone else who goes abroad and preaches to thousands. One young person, one young adult, one male, one female called of God at the right time, in the right place can change the world. When Moses stood facing a burning bush, three words came out of his mouth. When Samuel heard the voice of God speaking in the middle of the night, three words came out of his mouth. When Isaiah saw the Lord high, lifted up, three words came out of his mouth. Here am I. I am available right where I am and right when I am. Unmistakably, you are at the right place at the right time. God has a purpose for you in your high school, on your job, in your family, in your church, in your youth group, and in your place. You are placed in the kingdom of God for such a time as this. You are here, and now is your time. And now all he wants from you is for you to say, Here am I. I wonder in this house tonight if all across this building we wouldn't lift our hands together and say, Here I am, God. Here I am, God. I know that I am here, and now is my time to be used by you. Come on, lift up your voice together and let's pray and ask God to speak to us, to challenge us, to change us, and to use us now. Can we lift our hands now? We're going to go into worship for a little while. Our thoughts and our hearts on Him right now.
worship you. Just tell him, we worship you. Forever my Savior. Forever my Savior. I live to praise you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you.
there be a yearning out of your spirit right now you have a choice right now to walk into his presence to embrace it to let his presence begin to move you and change you come on someone put yourself at his feet right now we'll get to the next song in just a minute but right now his presence is here he's calling you to respond to his his presence his greatness Oh, oh, Lord, we respond to you. Oh, oh, someone just call his name and bow before him. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, we worship you. Hallelujah. 
someone just let it rise from the depths right now. Just release it from your spirit. Living waters flow. Living waters flow. Hallelujah. Oh. Hallelujah. Yeah. So anyone here that believes that when you get in his presence that anything can happen okay there's a part of this crowd that believes that if you don't believe his word is true then this is all for nothing how many believes that in the presence of God anything can happen look at your neighbor and say the miraculous is here tonight Come on, tell them. This song just says this. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. That the Spirit of the Lord is here. Anybody believe that tonight? For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence, the evidence is all around. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. So overflow, overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love, your love. 
Hallelujah. Sing it, the atmosphere. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence, the evidence is all around. That the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is here. So the atmosphere, the atmosphere is changing.
journey where he is going to change us and transform us he's going to expand our faith and then he is going to release us into his power but before we can see the gifts of the spirit be released like they're going to be released tomorrow night we can see the workings of miracles and people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit before our faith can get to a crescendoing place where we go home with a true perspective of who God wants us to be, we have got to take some time and consecrate our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wonder if we could stand to our feet and then I'll let you be seated. I know you've been standing a long time. But I wonder if we can lift our hands to the Lord and we can ask for his presence to be here with us. Jesus, you're here. God, and you want to speak. God, we've been praying 
we've been seeking. God, we've been saving and sacrificed a great deal of time and money to be in your house. And now, God, your word is going to speak. Not because I'm here, but Jesus, because your word is and your spirit is a resident in this room. So, God, we commit our hearts to you this night. And we ask for you to work in our lives in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I am so honored to be here. And uh, thank you so very much for having me. And uh, I want to say thank you to the bishop and of this incredible district for allowing me to come and uh, all of the elders that that have to scrutinize and green light all of the decisions that take place at a large and impacting district event like this I know that you have got to be thoughtful and prayerful and, and who you let in front of your young people is a sacred trust and thank you for um, elders for giving the covering that you have given to this incredible district youth team. Speaking of which, it's an honor to be back in Arkansas again. And uh, I love this district, absolutely love this district. And I love your youth president. He is my very good friend, uh, Brother Dean. He and his wife are some of the most incredible Christians that you'll ever meet. How many love your youth president? And... Uh, It's incredible to be partnered with my good friend, Pastor Brother L.J. Harry, and he's going to do an incredible job, and uh, I was so excited when I found out that Brother Jonathan Dean was leading worship. I told, uh, I didn't realize that he was, it's the first time I've really met him in person, uh, how tall he was, um, and how tall Brother L.J. is, and frankly, how tall Brother Chantry is in comparison to me, so I am here to provide some diversity to the stage, so all of us short, chubby guys can unite afterwards, maybe at like a Krispy Kreme or something, and <laughs> it's wonderful to be here, thank you so much uh, for coming, and uh, I'm just going to jump right into the word of the Lord if that's okay, I, I came across the story that um, kind of gripped my heart. And God used this to begin to talk to me uh, from, his, from his word. And in the summer of 2009 is when this story happened. So it was some time ago, but it has been an ongoing saga that is still having rippled effects on our automotive industry today. And in the summer and fall of 2009, hundreds of Lexus and Toyota owners came forward with an alarming allegation. Their cars were suddenly and uncontrollably accelerating. Toyota was forced to issue the largest ever recall in automobile history. 10 million vehicles were recalled off of the road, costing the company well over $250 million to repair. They were forced to pay a fine of $1.1 billion to the U.S. government. Another $1.2 billion to settle a class action lawsuit. And since then, 
and until this time they have settled over 400 separate lawsuits. The furor began when an off-duty California highway patrolman crashed a loner Lexus ES350 at high speed, killing himself, his wife, his daughter, and his brother-in-law. It was reported that someone, either the officer or his brother-in-law, called 911 moments before the crash, issuing these frightful, frightful words. The accelerator is stuck. There is no brake. We are going to crash. Following this horrific incident, and as his 911 call was played across news stations all over the globe, the claims against Toyota began with allegations that a design flaw in their oversized rubber plastic mats was the cause of all of these crashes. A simple plastic oversized mat that Toyota sells its customers somehow got wedged in behind the gas pedal, jammed it, causing wide open, uncontrollable acceleration. Toyota agreed to this large recall of 4.3 or actually 4.3 million vehicles initially and then it became 10 million to modify the gas pedal and remove any unsecured or incompatible Floor mats, such a simple little thing, the claim was, caused such a great disaster. There was a Senate investigation, and even Eric Holder, the Attorney General, held a press conference to issue a scathing statement against Toyota, and he said, and I quote, Toyota's conduct was shameful. The world's largest automobile company has been accused of a cover-up of putting profits over people. But could this really be the case, my question is for you tonight? Is the world's largest, most respected car manufacturer undertaking a cover-up of epic proportions? Are the gnarled claws of plastic floor mats all around the world grasping for our gas pedals in some sort of twisted, diabolical plot to kill us all? What about just hitting the brakes. Investigative author and prolific writer Malcolm Gladwell, he set out to discover for himself the truth. He went to a test track along with experts of Car and Driver magazine and climbed into a Toyota Camry, one of the very same models accused. They did everything they could in an attempt to recreate this rapid, uncontrolled acceleration. They took the vehicle all the way up to 100 miles an hour, but they were unable to recreate the claim that the Camry's gas pedal would stick and go wildly out of control. So they tried something else. They took the vehicle up to 60, and with the gas pedal firmly pressed on the floor, without letting up, they jammed on the brakes. And then again at 70, and then again at 100 miles an hour. And every time, the car stopped. Really, not that spectacular. The car just stops. No loud noises, no smoke, no squealing of the engine. Just a car stopping. At which point in the interview, the car and driver expert turned and spoke into the camera, spoke to Malcolm Gladwell, and he said this, if you have functioning brakes, 
Brakes win. That's it. Brakes versus engine. Brakes always win. In fact, here's the official report from Car and Driver. Brakes, by and large, can still overpower and rein in an engine roaring under full throttle. With Camry's throttle pinned, that's brake pedal um, for us you know, regular people, um, going 70 miles an hour, the brakes easily overcame all 268 horsepower straining against them, stopped the car at 190 feet. That is only a foot shorter than the performance of a Ford Taurus without any gas pedal problems. Just 16 feet longer than with the Camry's throttle closed or foot off the gas pedal. And here's what's really interesting. As Gladwell broke down the data, he discovered shockingly that most of the accidents that took place in Toyota vehicles and in Lexus vehicles during this time happened simply because drivers did not hit the brakes. So what about all of the media reports? They were hype at best. They were fraud at worst. The Obama government simply overreacted in a response to mainstream media hysteria. Imagine that. That could never happen, right? I don't know. I'm just a Canadian. I don't know. It was an attempt to gain political capital regardless of whatever the facts may be. ABC News was, in fact, proven to commit an act of journalistic fraud by creating a sense in their great expose of these vehicles the report in the video, the Toyota test car, the engine was wildly accelerating. It was screaming. But on Reddit, somebody captured some screenshots. And what they discovered, what the world discovered, that the reality was the car was actually in park the entire time. ABC, of course, claimed it was a mere editing error. So in short, billions in fines. Respected companies' reputation ruined and smeared and tarnished. People living in fear. Worse still, people died. Families ruined. Parents grieved. Futures lost. All because in a moment of pressure and panic, people did not do the easiest, simplest thing to prevent a tragedy, which is just hit the brakes. And by past 13 years of pastoral ministry, I have witnessed the crash of so many lives. Each story unique, each soul special, extenuating circumstances, different in them all. But all crashes, hear me, all crashes could have been avoided if people in moments of pressure, moments of temptation, moments of uncertainty had just hit the brakes. James chapter 1 verse 15 says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is a terrible mistake, young person, to live your life as if you are beyond failure. It is foolish to think that we can just slide into the driver's seat of our life without, it, without the understanding that in our flesh dwells no good thing. 
An apostolic understanding of sin dictates that the ability, the desire, and the potential to fall lies in every single person, this guy included. And let me remind you tonight about what your Bible says about your sin, your flesh, the world, and the devil. 1 John 3, 4 says, Every man who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. James 4.4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 2 Timothy 2.19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Hear me tonight, these words they can't. We can't take them lightly. Their language is serious. You're going to hear the pleading. hear the tone. The tone of the text is urgent. The warning is strong. Don't be deceived. Don't buy into the lies. The world's not your friend. Sin is actually a big deal. Now tonight I'm not inferring that, that you can pull yourself up and live your life by your own spiritual bootstraps. I'm not trying to make the claim that by mere rule keeping we can become good and moral people and holy. I want you to understand at the outset before I go further. If you are to overcome our flesh, the world and the devil, you have got to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. On my own there is a propensity for wrong. On my own I am a slave to sin. But the moment I step into the Spirit of God, there is not a sin, a devil, or a temptation that I can overcome. There is no devil that is bigger or stronger than an apostolic young person that is full of the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul says, if I walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The only difference between me bound by sin and me at my best living in apostolic anointing is the degree to which I allow Jesus to work in me. But hear me tonight. If I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Hell is not more powerful than the Holy Ghost. The world cannot, will not overcome the anointing that is in your life. Greater is He that is within you than He that is in the world. I don't care how strong the temptation is. There is no power like Holy Ghost power. There is no strength like the strength of the Lord. There is no ability like that which comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. But here's where we get it wrong. Here's here's where we get it wrong. To confuse the potential for resisting, which God provides... With the responsibility for resisting 
which is ours, is to court disaster in our pursuit of holiness. The Spirit gives us the power to live an overcoming life. But it is your responsibility to make use of that power. See, here's what we sometimes do. We wait for God to liberate us from the struggles and temptations when God actually expects you to use the power that you already have in the Holy Ghost to deny the flesh and overcome the world. In other words, God provides the brakes, but you, you got to hit them. You do. Now, uh, you may be saying, Adam, listen, we know these things already. We have read the self-same Bible that you have brought up to this podium. We are very familiar with what the Bible says about sin. We have heard it from Sunday school till now. And I will wholeheartedly admit that nothing that I have said up until this point is new, novel, Revelatory, old news. But as I've sat with youth groups and I've wept with them about their friends, and as I've met with heartbroken moms and dads, as I've stood the scenes of crashed lives, addicted to pills, pornography, young men racked with guilt, Young women, their eyes are filled with hurt and shame, racking their brains as to how they're going to figure out being teenage and pregnant. A young adult trapped in a marriage with someone who has no desire for God. And now instead of pursuing a calling, they're just trying to stay saved. In all of these situations, as we have talked about the tragedy of the crash, it's always a point in the conversation where my stomach churns. As invariably, whether it is the individual themselves, as members of the church or youth group, mom and dad, at some point in the conversation, all reach out after we have cried. And we have prayed for God to do a work of healing and restoration. God to redeem and save from the mouth of the world and the chains of darkness. Invariably somebody reaches down in the course of the conversation. Pulls out their own version of an oversized plastic mat. launch into a tirade of blame as to why this crash happened and if he hadn't got that job you know a philosophy class will take anybody out you gotta stay away that stuff will kill anybody if only snapchat didn't exist it was that snapchat that's what did a man if he hadn't met that girl if she hadn't met that boy on and on it goes I'm not saying external dangers don't exist. But a smartphone app didn't force you to take that provocative selfie. 
I want you to hear me. This is not coming from a place of judgmentalism or legalism at all. My heart has been so broken all service. Instagram didn't seize control over your thumbs and make you start flicking through pornographic images. Nietzsche and Bertrand Russell, university student, didn't arise from the dirt encasing their bones to deconstruct everything you knew about God. Darwin and his Galapagos finches didn't erase your doctrine of an omnipotent creator. You did all of those things. You became not only a willing accomplice, but the sole proprietor of your actions when you decided not to hit the brakes. You didn't delete the app. You created that profile, then went back and visited it. You uncritically entertained the philosophies and gave them the authority to supersede the voice of Scripture. You retained, returned the flirtatious advances of that young lady. You gave him your sale. You didn't block the number when the conversation became inappropriate. You went back to that website again and again. You never reached out for accountability when your emotions were overwhelmed and your choices limited. You made the choice to stay in that college in a city with no church despite taking your first sip of alcohol at a frat party in a moment of weakness. You decided to take a job that forced you to work on Sunday and you didn't quit when the convicting power of the Holy Ghost started sending twinges of warning into your spirit. Quit blaming external factors when the reason is your flesh stepped on the gas, drove off a cliff. As the Toyota saga continued, it became apparent that many people did not have these rubber mats that claimed to be the cause. And a new group of accusers came forward, and a new, more frightening culprit was blamed. They said, No, it's not a mat. It's got to be more complicated than a mat. It's got to be. It's the coding, it's the computer program, and the Lexus. It's, uh, it's a bug and software. Luxury cars, they're, they're too complex. Do you realize? Do you realize that there are a hundred million lines of computer code in a typical luxury vehicle or a high-end Toyota Camry? Up to 100 million lines of code in a Lexus ES350 versus in an F-35 fighter jet, which costs half a billion dollars. There's only seven million lines of code. The car, which costs maybe 50000 compared to a half a billion dollar fighter jet, that car has become infinitely more complicated than one of the most expensive war machines on the world. This bug is going to be impossible to find. Who can find a mistake in 100 million lines of code? If there wasn't this bug, the car would not have crashed. What a terrifying proposition. Millions of cars on the road right now, all cursed, all cursed with bad code, all with bad programming, just waiting to careen off a cliff and burst into flames. To assess the validity of this claim, NASA 
and the NHTSA got together and here's what they said. NASA and HTSA engineers stood side by side in the study to try to find the root of the cause of the problem. We have a strong team including some of the best electronics and software experts in NASA. We enlisted the best and the brightest engineers in America to study Toyota's electronic systems and the verdict is in. NASA found no evidence that a malfunction in electronics caused large unintended accelerations. I've sat in coffee shops with young people in my office with their family and their friends. And they didn't take the simplistic route. They said, this is complex, Pastor. This is a complex issue. The problem is they have faulty programming. Something got messed up. As the program was being made and developed. But it's got hundreds of millions of lines of code, Pastor. The human mind and emotions are just so complex. We're never going to be able to figure out what the problem is. I guess we've just got to throw up our hands in the air and realize that some people are just so dysfunctional. They can't live for the Lord. And they're just going to crash their life over and over again. See, pastor, they come from a dysfunctional family. They come from a messed up family tree. If their parents just hadn't been divorced, if their dad just hadn't lost their job, if they just weren't abused or neglected or hurt or bullied, they would not have crashed. We're blaming the wiring. The life was too complex, too difficult. And somewhere their mind snapped and broke. And they were messed up. The Bible counters this claim though in James 4, 7. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Hear me please. I'm not dismissing your pain. I'm not making light of the trauma in your life. Abuse, divorce, bullying, financial hardship, sickness affect us deeply. I've suffered and I know how that can challenge you. And I will share with you the suffering of my family tomorrow night to hopefully build your faith. I know all too well how suffering can impact your mind in ways that you cannot comprehend. But James' message was not to the functional to the healthy or to the whole. It was to everybody, in all places, in all circumstances, a simple solution to a complex problem. Resist the devil and he must flee. I don't care how messed up you feel. I don't care how broken you feel. I don't care how alone you feel. I don't care how hurt you are or disillusioned you are. With the help of the Holy Ghost, if you will just hit the brakes, if you will just resist the devil, he must flee from your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Even if you're hurt, broken, or disillusioned. Satan doesn't become more powerful just because you feel more broken. The word of God is forever settled. Resist the devil and he must 
flee. One of the things I found fascinating in Gladwell's investigative report is the amount of people that swore up and down that they had hit the brakes, but as they did investigation analysis and they broke apart, as it were, the car's black box, revealed evidence to the contrary. Not only did people not hit the brakes, but in many of these accidents, they actually stomped on the gas. They did the opposite of what they wanted. Because in many places, these people were in unfamiliar cars and unfamiliar places, and they got behind the wheel irrespective of the changes that made this driving experience unlike any one that they had ever had before. They assumed they just knew what they were doing, but in moments of crisis, in moments of pressure and panic, started to rise, they hit the wrong pedal. Somewhere in the chaos, in the panic, the panic disrupted the message from the head to the body, between their brain and their foot. And they hit the wrong pedal in a moment of danger because in a place of safety, they did not determine where their brake actually was. In fact, Gladwell discovered that unintended rapid acceleration is one of the most common form of car accidents. Toyota was just blamed because it was media hype, but really all cars crash in this type of scenario. Sometimes young people crash. And I want you to listen to me. I want to slow down for just a moment and I want to help you live your life when you leave. Sometimes young people crash when they get into unfamiliar places and new environments because they have not predetermined where their boundaries should be. Your brakes are your boundaries. Your boundaries are your brakes. You need to know where your brakes are. You need to know where your boundaries are before you get in trouble. Boundaries are the decisions that you have already made on the issues before you face them under pressure. You need to know what you will and will not do, where you will and will not go, who you will be accountable to for your time and behavior when you are dating before you begin to date. You need to have boundaries set in your life for every major transition. When you move away, young adult, to go to college or you go to, new, to a new school, teenager, like from moving to elementary to middle or middle to high school or high school to university or college, you need to know, you need to have already determined what environments you will not allow yourself to get into and what the triggers are going to be that when these people do this, say this, or the environment shifts, I I'm out. I'm going to have nothing to do with you. I've got to leave. I've got to call a friend. I've got to Uber home. Whatever i got to do, i got to hit the brakes. i got to stop this. You've got to make up your mind before you get in that environment. Otherwise, you can find yourself in the middle of a spiritual crisis. Hitting the wrong, hitting the wrong pedal. Like blaming others. And then claim moral superiority over your church and your pastor for not being there for you. I know, I know I've already been 31 minutes. Can I, can I park here? Can I park here for a second? I saw a post the other day from a young adult that says, You can't ever say, I never tried to reach out. They're struggling. It's like, Really? Sorry, I don't want to be harsh if that's your attitude here tonight, but can I, can I, just, can I just be me for a second? Really? 
You're telling me that your whole spiritual success is based on the actions of somebody else? Whether or whether or not they reach out to you in the manner you desire or you wish and the timeliness dependent upon the circumstances of your choosing, that's what you're going to base your entire eternity on? Don't listen to me. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, even as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Don't blame people for the reason why you're not serving God and you're headed towards a crash. Work out your own salvation. You claim the church is being judgy, but the fact of the matter is you're actually using the same type of judgment when you're saying, I'm going to withdraw from you if you are not the perfect omniscient people that I expect you to be while I live my broken, jacked up life. You cannot do that. This one is going to mess with you a little bit. You ready? All I have to do is shout it out. If I come and I just break through at HYC, it's all going to be okay. I can live for the flesh, live for the world, live for sin all week long, all holiday long, all last semester long. I just got to come to HYC and shout it out. If I just jump, run, praise break, thrash hard enough. Listen, I love praise. I love wild church. Come to Ontario. Our altar calls, they will exhaust you. I'm exhausted. But hollering and clapping on the right beat and being loud is not an excuse for an unconsecrated life. Sometimes rather than facing the tragedy of the direction of our lives, we mask the convicting power of the Holy Ghost with external displays of noise, drowning out the voice of Jesus Christ, beckoning us to change with the energy of the room. All without a plan, desire, compulsion, actually change our life. Hear me, His presence is not His approval. His presence is designed to lead you to repentance. Worship is not a substitute for surrender. Praise is not an alternative for obedience. Just because you spoke in tongues here doesn't mean you don't need to go home and hit the brakes on a few things in your life. Go change your number. Quit that job. Break that relationship. Change the engagement. Take a break from Facebook. Delete Instagram. Delete Snapchat. Take a break from the internet. Get those people off of your Facebook. Leave that group text. Hit the brakes! I want you to hear the cry of the Holy Ghost here tonight. I want you to hear the cry of the Spirit from from my heart tonight. I feel it, the Holy Ghost. This is not sermonizing. I feel it in my spirit. I feel I don't know who for, but I feel like I'm reaching for somebody. Sometimes temptation comes as a great opportunity. And it appeals to your heart as a good desire. But it is the wrong time. And it is the wrong environment. And your pastor is not comfortable with it. Your desire may be good, but the timing may be wrong. Hear me, you've got to hit the brakes. Hear the cry of the Holy Ghost. God is reaching for somebody here tonight. 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Don't fall in love with the world, no matter how complex life gets. And how much in escape, whatever that may be, if it's a relationship, if it's an addiction, if it's a, you know, running away, if it's, if it's moving away from your church, if it's going to a new school. No matter how much an escape seems like the only way to relieve the pressure, you are filled with the Holy Ghost. And as such, you have the power to stop. No matter how alluring, how enticing the world appears, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you've got to hit the brakes. At no point do I ever read Peter, Paul, and John telling us to negotiate, engage with dialogue, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We always see resist, stand against the wiles, crucify the flesh, flee temptation, hit the brakes. Hear me, do not mess with sin. Sin is so cruel, so despicable, so vile. Its consequences so crushing, so horrendous, so catastrophic. It took every last drop of blood in the brutalized body of Jesus Christ to satisfy its judgment, break its curse, redeem us from its slavery. And it would be an attitude too risky, an attitude too arrogant, a character too disingenuous to play, negotiate. Or engage with an evil so great it cost Jesus Christ his life. Yes, as you make changes, there are going to be scars. Some wounds and some baggage. Some trust that was going to take time to regain. And some things that you're going to have to heal from. Musicians, come. Anyone who's ever been in a car knows that it is jarring when you suddenly stop. While repentance can be jarring as you break off relationships and learn new habits and make life changes, the pain that you feel in repentance is not the pain of crashing and destruction, but of healing and restored purpose. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30 and 32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways. Repent. And turn. Repent and turn so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Therefore, turn and live. I know I've gone too long, but hear me, grace is possible to the one who will just turn. Earlier, God says your transgressions I'll remember no more. If you've been headed the wrong direction, stop and turn to Jesus. And as you turn, hear me, you turn into a merciful Lord. Why should you continue to head into a destructive direction when you have a merciful Jesus? who shed his blood for your sins. When you turn, God's not going to remind you of your failures. I know my words have been jarring, but when you come to this altar in response to those words, 
God's not going to jar at you. His mercy will purge his own memory. The God who knows all things makes a choice in your repentance to know nothing about the mistakes that you have made anymore. He's just, he's holy, but he is also faithful. He's faithful to forgive to those that repent and his blood will cover you immediately. It won't take any time. You won't have to agonize for it. The moment you cry out for it, it's there because his blood is that powerful. Verse 32 broke my heart two weeks ago when I was preparing and it said, I have no pleasure in the one who dies. See, unlike me, who can be vengeful, unlike you, who can be spiteful, we relish at times when somebody gets what they deserve at the, the consequences of their bad decisions and their failures. We go, ah, serves them right. Hear me. God, God's not like that. God, God is not like that. He, there's no joy in your pain. There's no, there's no joy in your hurt. God takes no pleasure in the crashing of your life. You don't serve a God who wants to hurt you. Who wants to judge you. The devil lies to people. He does all the time when he tells them, if you, if you go back to that church, if you go to that altar, if you repent, if you change the direction of your life, you're just, you, you better run far away from Jesus. You better run far away from your pastor or your church. They just want to rebuke you. They just want to make you feel bad. They just want to condemn you. You better stay here right where you are even though you know it's bad. I rebuke that lie in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're not running into condemnation. You always run into mercy. He says, turn and live. Not turn or else. But turn and have life. Jesus said the thief wants to come. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy you. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. See, God wants you to thrive. He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to live a life of power and purpose and faith and anointing. He endured the cross, despised the shame, tasted death so you could live in every one of his promises. There's that part, though, about the new heart always freaks everybody out. How in the world do I change? I feel so trapped. I feel so bound. The addictions are so real. How can I get this new heart that I read about? My heart is so, so hard. I want to change, but I can't. I want my desires to flip, but they, they won't. chapters later Ezekiel writes again verse 26 he said I'll give you a new heart I'll put a new spirit in you I'll take that heart of stone out of your flesh 
And I'll give you something tender. Hear me, all you got to do tonight is just hit the brakes. Just stop. He said he'll remember your sins no more if you do. He said he would do all the work, change you, transform you. That he would cauterize and cut out the addicted, broken, stony, sinful, corrupted parts of you. You don't have to worry when you come to this altar tonight that you're going to change all on your own. Jesus says all you got to do is hit the brake, stop, and turn, and I will take care of everything else. Hear me, God wants to break addictions in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to deliver you from the pain that's made you feel that substance abuse, promiscuity, and pornography is the only answer. God wants to set you free. He'll do that. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's all you got to do. All you got to do to change. All you got to do to live. All you got to do to stop the crash from happening or recover from the one that you already have been in. To stop and turn. Stop and come to this altar right now. Get up out of your seat and say, Jesus, here's my life. Jesus, here's it's that easy. You come to an altar in sincere repentance. And God will rip the driver's wheel out of your hands and He'll take control of the rest of your life. He'll reach into your mind. You may have heard the phrase, once an alcoholic, always one, not with Jesus. The devil may have told you, you will always be a wretch just like your mother or your father. Not with Jesus. So cry out to him right now. That's it. This is how we got to start. Before we talk about our power or our purpose or miracles or gifts or callings. We got to talk to Jesus about our direction. Come on, that's it. I want you to pour your heart out to Him right now. This is a moment for you to get real. This is a moment for you to get real and sincere before God. Come on, that's it. That's it. This may feel uncomfortable for a little bit, but we got park here. I want you to begin to talk to God in real words. Don't just come to the altar and say, Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus, a million times. I want you to actually talk about the issues that are in your life right now and say, God, I need your help. God, I shouldn't be dating this girl. I shouldn't be dating this guy. I don't know how to stop. God, we've crossed too many lines already in this relationship, and I don't know how to pull back. Lord Jesus, I can't go through a day without looking at that stuff on my phone. Lord, can you reach into my heart? Let's hear reach out to him. Let's hear reach out to him right now. I said, let there be a cry. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Have you 
come I see you're running into mercy. So you're running to mercy. To your thirst. No more hiding. No more abiding. Well, Jesus. Just surrender. That's it. Talk to him. Come on, that's it. Talk to him. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are broken. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's it, young people. We're going to press in this moment. Press through right now. Leave behind your regrets. And Come today. That's it. All things can be made new. Jesus is called. All things can pass away. There's blood in this altar for you. Your sorrows and trade them for joy.
I have any intercessors that are in the room I need you to join with me right now in the spirit and begin to pray I felt the spirit quicken my heart in the altar this is a very specific thing I'm just going to launch out and be bold if that's okay keep praying if God's working on your life moms, dads, elders I need you to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost I felt as I put my mic down there is a couple people in this room 
where you decided before you came that this was going to be a make it or break it moment for your walk with God. That what happened to you here was going to force you to make a decision as to whether or not you're going to serve God or whether or not you're going to walk away from God and embrace a secret lifestyle that you've secretly been struggling with. This is very specific for someone right now. You came to HYC and you've been struggling with same-sex attraction and nobody knows it. And it's been a secret fight and a secret battle. And you told God, I'm going to give you one more shot before I walk away from everything. This is what the Lord says to you. You've got to make up your mind right now what voices you are going to listen to. You've got to decide who is going to define you. And you have got to make a decision right now to hit the brakes on every website, group of friends, school counselor that has been reinforcing an ungodly, unnatural view of yourself. And you have got to make up your mind right now I will only choose to hear and identify my life through the voice of the Spirit and through the Word of the Lord. And if you will feed yourself only what God says about you and not what the world says about you, you can begin a pathway to deliverance right now. If you came in this room and you put a fleece out before God, God is putting a fleece out before you. Help me pray, church, in this altar call. And he's making a choice right now. He's putting a choice out to you. Choose you this day who you're going to serve and what voice you're going to listen to. Because if you'll listen to my voice and you'll listen to my word, I will have wholeness, restoration. I will have purpose and a display of my glory for my power and for my namesake in your life, says the Lord. But you've got to make up your mind. I'm speaking to somebody right now. Church, I need you to lift your hands and pray. God wants you to walk into deliverance. But you've got to make up your mind right now. I'm going to only hear the voice of Jesus. And no other cultural voice gets to define me. Come on, that's it. Lift your voice right now. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. And when I say in the name of Jesus... I want this room to begin to explode in worship and in praise because we serve a God who is faithful to redeem, to restore, and deliver through His preached word and by His blood. Get ready by the authority of the word of God. By the blood that was shed on Calvary. I curse every chain of sin. I curse every lie of the enemy. I come against every wile of the devil. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the blood, I command you to be free, redeemed, forgiven, set free, whole right now, in the name of Jesus. Lift your voice right now. Come on, that's it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Come on, that's it. Walk in it right now. Walk in it right now. That's it. Lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, that's it. Press through. 
We don't have to wait to tomorrow to break through. This is your moment to break through.
somebody and lift it up right now as a sign of victory it's a sign of deliverance come on lift up the hand of the person you're connected to right now that's it come on and I want you to begin to give God thanks and praise for his forgiveness that's it come on begin to thank him for his love his mercy his grace his forgiveness in your life for the power that he gives you over sin, over shame. That's it. Come on, there's a breaking again. There's another level right now that God's taking you right now in the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. That's it. 
Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Oh. That's it. Come on, lift your voice right now. Lift your voice in victory. Come on, don't hold your head down in shame. He's forgiven. Come on, if you've come to him in repentance, he's heard that cry. He's heard that cry. decision for change in areas that need to change not just this week but when you go back home what an incredible and on point message we have heard tonight from the word of the Lord let's give God thanks and praise for speaking to us thank you Jesus thank you Lord Jesus 
give you praise and glory, God. Amen. Thank you, Brother Shaw, for speaking your heart to us tonight and preaching the word of the Lord. What an incredible message. What a life-changing message. Amen. Some areas where we need to put the brakes on. Some things need to happen. Some changes need to be made. Because I believe that God wants to use you in unprecedented ways. And there's a world that's vying for your life. And we're not going to let it win. We're not going to let the things of this world get in the way of what God wants to do in our life. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your response. If you're still praying, you feel free to do that as long as you want to. We'll see you again in the morning. Our split session's 10:15. Breakfast is until 10 o'clock. So if you want breakfast, make sure you're there before 10. 10:15. We start our split sessions just down the hallway here. Be kind, be generous when you go out to the restaurants tonight. Make sure that you obey the curfew, 12 o'clock. To be in your rooms here at the hotel. God bless you.